We are back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, Ahmed. And I'm your host, John. And we got another interview this time with a guest, uh, Chris Odegaard. He is known for alternative investing. He has a website called theprolificinvestor.com where he, you know, writes a blog. It's where, you know, you can contact him in any way that you want. He holds a weekly coffee chat where people can, you know, schedule time with him just to ask him about his journey and the things that he's found success in. But pretty much when we say alternative investments, that's, uh, uh, you know, real estate syndications, vending machines, you know, things that aren't stocks, bonds, and uh, like long-term retirement assets that people tend to buy. So, you know, we pick his brain on all this stuff, get a unique angle. And I think he provided a lot of value even to both of us. And there's definitely some things we're going to look into as well. So really good episode. Yeah. Just like another, another really cool avenue of success that, um, that we're able to just showcase here on black box and thank you again, Chris, for a great conversation. And, uh, we hope to stay in touch. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, get right into it. We're super excited to uh, announce on Black Box that we have our first advertisement, and it is with our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, which is what we've been using since day one to record remotely with our guests. Uh, and they've become a new sponsor for the show. So tune in, check out the podcast discount link in our show notes, and stay tuned to hear more about why we love Zencaster. Hey guys, we're really excited to tell you guys about Black Ice. The black-owned jewelry business uh, owned by Sean Moore, who we've had on the podcast before. And if you just think about it, Black Box, Black Ice, it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, so, you know, jewelry in itself, obviously it's flashy, but you know, on Black Box, we like to talk more about the investment aspect. Gold jewelry, as well as watches, are a physical asset class in their own, which is a bit safer. And if you've seen the markets in the past year or so, stock market and crypto have been down a lot, whereas gold is really good at preserving its value. And that's what it's known for. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that I've worked with him before personally to get a gift from my mother that was also a slightly custom piece as well. Uh, I have nothing but good things to say about Sean. He was easy. He was flexible. The price was fair. And, you know, I met up with him, quick and easy transaction. And my mom loved the gift and it turned out great. Yeah. So if all of this sounds good to you, you could check out his website or his socials. Um, It's Black Ice NYC, but it's black with a V instead of an A. And if you're looking for something stock, you could find it there. But he also does custom goods and he specializes in doing custom things with a quick turnaround. Uh, yeah. And also, if you're looking for a specific item, especially with, you know, watches, Sean loves to do sourcing. And because he's in the business, it's a little bit better pricing than going directly through retail and working with, you know, the corporations. We also think it's a bit better. And we talk about that on the pod that you'd be supporting, you know, an upcoming entrepreneur and a small business instead of going and giving your money to these big corporations anyway. Yeah. So again, we're so excited to partner with Black Ice and be sure to check the description down below for uh, hit Sean's socials and his website and stay tuned for cool opportunities coming very soon. Just don't forget to mention the black box sent you. All right, Chris, uh, can you 
just take a few moments to introduce yourself uh, for our audience. Sure. My name is Chris Sodegard, uh, coming to you, uh, well, live right now from Somerville, South Carolina, uh, a little bit north of Charleston. Uh, moved here a year ago from Seattle, Washington. Uh, grew up in Cincinnati, went to school in Daytona Beach, Florida, so I bounced around a little bit. But uh, yeah, I am uh, today I'm the prolific investor. You know, I write a blog at theprolificinvestor.net. It's all about alternative investments and why people need them as opposed to your typical stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and what I call the 401k highway to mediocrity. Uh, but I didn't start off that way. You know, I started off as a, if you or any of your listeners has re have read The Cash Flow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki, uh, I was an E. I was an employee and I grew up with a bunch of E's and I was a conventional investor, you know, for a long time. And I, I did that route. And then uh, in my mid 40s, I had what I call a, a huge illiquidity event where I lost 55% of my assets and thousands of dollars a month in cash flow. And in my case, it happened to be a divorce, but it could be, a, you know, a bankruptcy, you know, a, a, you know, a health issue or whatever. But it was, uh, you know, here I am in my mid forties and I was already on kind of this mediocre path. And then everything just got exponentially worse. And coincidentally around that time, a friend of mine, you know, handed me this book and it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I later read the cash flow quadrant. And that's when I went, wow, there's a whole other way to invest. And everything that I read in that book said it's way better and it's got way more advantages. So I just started uh, moving in that way, uh, you know, very quickly. And uh, nine years later, I was just kind of uh, I, I was actually nine years later, I was getting ready to quit my corporate job and I, and I wanted to start this blog. And I thought, well, what, what credibility do I have, you know, to, you know, to, to talk about this experience? I mean, you know, at, by that point, nine years later, I was a sophisticated investor. I got a bookkeeper and I got financials. So I know exactly where I stand, but you know, I didn't have all that stuff nine years earlier. And then, then the light bulb went off and I went, wow, but, but I do, because when you get divorced, guess what the attorneys do? They make you take an accounting. So, you know, exactly, I knew exactly what I was worth, uh, unbeknownst to me. So I had to dig out those rest, those records. And so, you know, nine years later, I made all that money back and multiplied it many times over and quit my corporate job sooner than I had planned on if I hadn't had that event. And so I went, okay, well, I guess I do have a, you know, I wouldn't say that quitting the corporate world at 56 is a monumental thing. If it had been under 55, just a couple of years, that would have been better. You know, but the <laughs> fact that nine years earlier, you know, I was in this negative 55% hole and managed to come out. And I would have never been able to do that have I, had I stayed on that same path, you know, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds through an employer 401k. So that's so here I am today and I love talking with guys like you. And I, I wrote a book called Get Off Your Ass and Manage Your Money, Why You Need Alternative Investments. And I just, uh, you know, want to change as many lives as I can. And, uh, you know, because in, in, in your generation, you know, uh, in, you know, in my generation, in my parents' generation, they had these things called pensions. They had defined benefit plans, you know, and people worked for companies for a long time and, and, you know, they, they had that and those things pretty much don't exist anymore. So now it's all this is more on the individual. And frankly, it, that's a good thing because you have you have all the control. But 
you got to get better educated uh, because you got to do it all yourself. And, you know, dumping the pensions and all that kind of stuff came without, oh, and by the way, there's a whole bunch of education that needs to come with this. You know, it just kind of got thrown onto the public and everybody thought, well, it's it's just the 401k, that'll do it. And it, and it won't. Matter of fact, it won't work. Uh, 92, uh, for anybody that's putting, you know, using the 401k as their primary investment tool, 92% of them are going to fail. And I can tell you where I came up with that number. So <laughs> I'd, I'd like to hear why. Um, yeah. I just wanted to start by saying thank you again, Chris. Uh, really appreciate it. And we also love to just connect with like-minded people and especially gain some knowledge from the generation above us. Uh, it's also funny because you said the first book you read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was the first one that I read that got me started on all this stuff. There you go. Uh, great, good book, good, good book to start just because it lays everything out. Good foundation. Sure. Um, but yeah, you said, you know, after your divorce, you were minus 55% of, I guess, all your net assets, all your yep, net worth. Yep, yep. So, I mean, then once you, I guess you read the book and mm-hmm. then you had some money laying around this 45%. Yeah, what was yeah. the first thing? 45%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was the first move that you made or what was the first thing that you said, I'm going to do to start getting the ball rolling? Was it, you know, the house hacking buying of, yeah. you probably well, already had a house at that point, right? So, well, I used it. Well, I, I, now I didn't did. anymore. I, I, uh, <laughs> but I, you I couldn't went. take advantage of a three and a half percent rule or anything. Like yeah. That. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I moved into my post-divorce, apartment, which is what I finally referred to as the van down by the river, if you ever saw the Saturday Night Live skit with Chris Farley. <laughs> so anyway, but you know, the first, I want to, this is kind of, that's a great question because the first thing I did wasn't to go invest. The first thing I did was edu- was invest in more education. And it kind of, it's like, the, it's almost like, it was almost like divine intervention. You know, the book dropped into my lap. I was sitting in my van down by the river apartment and an ad came on the radio and Robert Kiyosaki's organization was having a free seminar. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to that seminar and I registered. And uh, the day that I was supposed to go, my 92 F-150 pickup truck wouldn't start. By the way, I still own that truck. It's sitting out in the driveway. (laughs) I managed to find a rental car company that would deliver a car to me. And I went to the free seminar, which turned into the $500 weekend, you know, training. And, and which turned into uh, a $15,000 training package that I put on my credit card. And my son, who was about 15 at the time, and it, it came with two passes. So he and I took classes all over the country on all types of uh, uh, real estate investing, wholesaling, flipping, rehabbing, you know, creative financing, uh, lease options. And, and that's what uh, that, you know, that was... Uh, uh, that was a, a great way to get started. But then the real first investment was I had a his older sister, uh, which was, was just starting her second year of college up in Bellingham, Washington at Western Washington University. Nice. And, and, and of course, after her first year, she says, Dad, I don't want, I don't want to live on campus anymore. And I, I knew before she even went that this was going to happen. And in the back of my mind, I was like, well, when this time comes, I'll be darned if I'm going to pay somebody else's mortgage up there for the next three years. So yeah. we bought a house together, a duplex, two units on one side, two on the other. It was the time of President Obama's first time homebuyer tax credit. So that got, got us a check for $15,000 because she had never owned a house. And then she rented out one of the rooms on her side and we rented out the whole other side. And that was the very first uh, 
you know, that was the very first real estate. We had that for many years after she graduated. And then it, then there were some other small single families. And I also did uh, notes. I don't know. Notes are just loans. So performing and non-performing notes. And uh, I've done ATM machines, self-storage apartments, and energy investments. So I've kind of went through a whole uh, litany of, you know, of trying things. And today I primarily like apartment buildings and through what's called a, a syndication where I'm just bringing in money along with other people and I'm completely passive and somebody else does the work. And I like to say, then my money comes back about three or four years later with twice as many friends and we just repeat the process. So Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but with Zencaster, the product that we use to record our episodes, it doesn't really have to be. Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution makes the process pretty quick and painless, which is, you know, the way we really want it to be. If you've been listening to The Black Box for a while now, you know that we constantly talk about how we want to bring the best quality and the best content for our listeners, you guys. And with Zencaster, they provide crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video for us as we record our episodes with our guests. Uh, not to mention it's easy to use. That's why we really like it because instead of having to coach, you know, guests on how to set up a podcast if they haven't been on one before, we basically just say show up with a mic and a, a computer and you're good to go with Zencaster. Zencaster is all about making your podcast experience easy and and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production tools, if you want to use those, uh, you don't even have to leave your browser to get the entire episode done. If you go to zen.ai slash blackbox and enter our promo code blackbox, you'll get 30% off on your first three months of Zencaster Pro. That's zen.ai slash blackbox, B-L-A-C-K-B-O-X. It's time to share your story. So now you're kind of just supplying capital. Mm-hmm. When before yeah. you you had to do more of the active yeah, work. Yeah, I yeah, I was I was the do it yourself yeah. or before I was, you know, I was the landlord, I was the repairman and 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 uh, and after I got a little bit more sophisticated and like I said I got a bookkeeper and I could and I and she'd created financial reports and I went I went back and looked at one year and I was like is that all I made, you know, on those properties in the course of a year and I was like I can do better and I liquidated everything. Matter of fact, uh I I heard a guy speak, he's one of the real estate guys. Uh, from from that podcast, and he he said every once in a while, you know, you should take a look at all the assets that you own, and ask yourself, you know, knowing what I know today, would I buy that same asset again? Would I rebuy that? And for me, the answer across the board was no. They weren't. It wasn't producing enough cash or appreciation. It was taking way too much of my time, and so that's when I switched over to kind of apartment buildings and syndications where I'm just providing the capital and, you know, getting 30% average annual returns. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm okay with that. (laughs) I'd be okay with that too. (laughs) And with the built-in tax advantages of depreciation, you know, and I have an article, I think it was in 2019, I made a very strategic energy investment. That's the year that President Trump paid $750 in taxes and I paid zero. So I called him an underachiever that year. I don't know why he had to pay $750 in taxes, but anyway. All right. Um, I guess there's a I, lot there, man. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I guess one one place where we can start. Um, so these apartment buildings and syndications that you mentioned, like how could somebody get themselves involved with that? Like, is there like are there websites? Are there like groups where you like, yes. or networks that you're part of? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, uh, I would recommend a place called Left Field Investors, and it's leftfieldinvestors.com. And that's what they say. You know, we're they're, they're all that whole group is all about, you know, uh, finding you know, passively investing for positive cash flow. 
And if you go to their website, and so are you guys familiar with the term accredited and non-accredited investor? Uh, I heard of it, but yeah, not like dictionary I, definition. I'm, I'm not very familiar with it. Yeah, so uh, an accredited, these are SEC rules. So an accredited investor, as defined by the SEC, is someone who has a million dollar net worth without uh, including their home equity or has a has an income of, there's an income requirement too. And I want to say it's $300,000, $300,000 a year. Because a lot of these syndications and things are private, they're, they're kind of unregulated. They haven't gone through the SEC. And so the SEC is like, well, we want to, it would be more easily, it'd be easier to get scammed or defrauded, scammed or defrauded in these things than it is, you know, your money in the stock market, right? Although we have had the Enrons and the, the Volkswagens yeah. and the Wells Fargo's, but, but still you, you have another level of protection. So anyway, so a lot of these investments are limited to accredited investors only and and others allow non-accredited credit investors. And one of the nice things that left field investors has a whole list of these syndicators and they could be doing apartment buildings or ATM machines or triple net leases. And they have a, uh, they put together a list that tells you which ones accept. So guys like you who I assume are non-accredited investors, you could find a way not to yet. get into a, you could yeah, not yet. You could find a way to to get into a syndication there. So oh, so you're saying with some of these opportunities you don't need a specific amount of capital to come to the table or is there yeah. still like a minimum? Well, there will be a yeah, there will be a minimum. I just want to make sure if it's leftfield.net it's leftfieldinvestors.com. Um, yeah, so a lot of times the uh, $25,000 is usually about as low as most of these these groups will go, uh, you know, with within a syndication. But if you want to go out and buy a single family house, you'd be, you know, you'd be having yeah, to probably, scrape yeah. up that as well. So, you know, you guys get together and each put in, uh, form a company and each put in 12500 you're off to the races. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. So, so if say for instance um you put you contribute $25,000 or however much money towards um towards a syndication is this like some kind is it like crowdsourced among with other people and then you split up the revenue or how does yeah. it work I I guess I don't know if crowdsourcing is the you know the right term to me that that brings to mind particular platforms and this you're not going to find this you know this isn't a yield street or anything like this, but yeah. I, so all a, all a syndication is is when a group of people pool their money to buy an asset that's too expensive for them to do if they were doing it, you, you know, by themselves. So let's mm -hmm. say you had a let's say you had a three hundred million dollar. Well, let's make it easier. Let's make it a hundred million dollar apartment building, and and they needed twenty five thousand dollars to cover the down payment, and you know five million dollars of of upgrades. Uh, so anyway, the limited partners would would contribute that uh that 25 million and the general partners are the people that just run the business those are the people that are the experts in acquiring and analyzing and running the running these apartments so yeah you and a whole bunch of other people would contribute that money and then there's a split typically 60 40 or 70 30 with the larger part going to you and me, the limited investors, and the smaller piece, because of course there's only a handful of general partners, so their their little piece is a big number for them. Yeah. But uh, you know, and basically you're you're really, you know, the yes on one hand the asset the asset matters the underlying asset matters, but you could have 
two apartment, identical apartment buildings on either side of the same street. And one team would manage it really well and make it profitable. And the other people might be inexperienced and not what, know what they're doing. So you're really, you're really investing in the team of people that are running this business because that's what it is. It's a small business at the end of the day. Of course. So I guess how, how would you vet out like what a good, like a good potential opportunity is for something yeah. that might be a fluke? Yeah, that's where a group like, and I'm just, uh, left field investors comes in because they've got a forum and you can go into in there under the sponsor. So a sponsor is another term for a syndicator and the sponsor, and there'll be a subcategory for every syndicator where people are in there asking, Hey, what's your experience been with, with this group? And that's where you, that's where you got to go. Um, I mean, and the nice thing too is, uh, I mean, I just, I have another business opportunity and I just got back from Dallas and Santa Monica where I went to a warehouse of this particular company. It, it's, it's not a real estate play. And then I went and met the co-founders in Santa, Santa Monica. You know, when you're investing in Coca-Cola, you're not going to get to fly out and meet the CEO, but with these private deals, you can. And so you have an opportunity to talk to and maybe meet the people. But just to have a forum like Left Field Investors where you can go in and see what dozens of people, you know, what kind of experience they've had, or maybe nobody's done this, or maybe this, this particular group doesn't have a track record. And it's like, okay, I don't want to be their first, I don't want to be their guinea pig on their first, yeah. first deal kind of a thing. I guess, um, I know some people always ask this question. What if you were, what if this was nine years ago now and you were in the same type of situation? Would you, I'm assuming you wouldn't go about it exactly the same way. What would you do differently? Well, I would, I would go out. Yeah. If, if I, if I could do it all over, I would have skipped a whole bunch. I would have skipped, you know, the single family and small multifamily. I would have skipped the notes, non-performing notes. And I would have, I would have gone straight. If I had known about syndications back then, I would have, I would have, I would have done that. And I think I started, I started with the apartment syndications in 2018. I kind of started with a syndication of a Really, it was a fund. It was a note fund, but it's kind of the same thing. A bunch of people pooling their money. Yeah. And so I think I probably started doing that around, you know, 2016 and didn't get into the apartment space, space until until 2018. But uh, I, I did an article where I compared um, the three different ways of doing real estate. I called it the DIY, you know, the do-it-yourself person. And then I compared... Uh, uh, there's some there are these companies across the country called turnkey single family rental providers. So one of one of the most popular ones is in Memphis. And so what they do, Memphis is a great cash flowing market, and they go out and buy you know three bedroom, two bath, good you know family working class uh, rentals, and they'll do really good. They'll do durable repairs. They have their own property managed company, so they'll screen the tenants, put some people in there, have them in a lease, and then you come along. And you ju you're just buying either with cash or bank loan, what's called a fully loaded rental. And you can have them property manage the property. And then I compared that with the syndication model. And basically, uh, you can do all of these for, you know, twenty five or fifty thousand dollars. But your time, your time involved goes from high to lower to lower. And frankly, the risk goes from high to lower to lower. Because if you go out and say, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a landlord. I'm gonna be a single family," and and you haven't gotten some education to do that, I mean, you're just you just started a small business, right? And maybe yeah. that's on top of your full time job. And the possibility of things going wrong are really high there. They're less less high with the turnkey, and the same thing with the single with the 
syndication, but that's where in the that's where picking that turnkey provider or the syndicator is really important. So okay, gotcha. I feel like also I don't know Ahmed if you feel this way, but kind of as I've you know been educating myself over the past few years, I think I'm on like I'm on year three. I just started year three of this journey, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, there have been multiple times along the way where I've had to you know do some course correcting, but it's almost like. Uh, damn, I wish I kind of went about it this way. I would have been able to take advantage of this time period much more if I was invested in these assets. And now I'm kind of just thinking, is it easier to, you know, diversify my, like, my capital into multiple different things right now while I don't really have that much built up? And then the gains are kind of spread across and they're pretty minute at that point. Or do I want to just go all in on something until I can build my net worth up to a point that then I feel safer diversifying it over something. So what, what, but what's your, what would diversify look like in the way you're talking to me right now? What would that look like? Well, yeah, no, because I, I'm at the point now where right now I don't feel necessarily comfortable buying my first property because of the way the economy is and the interest Mm -hmm. rates. And I feel like, you know, I'm younger and everything. I probably get locked into a bad, Mm -hmm. bad deal. But I want to get into real estate. I want to get into multifamily. I want to try, you know, multiple different avenues there. I want to possibly own some boring businesses, as some people like to call them or term them as, you know, even ATMs, vending machines. I've, yeah, I did almost buy a vending machine at one point, but didn't go through with it just because I moved and it, it wasn't going to work out. But yeah. also, you know, putting money in stocks, crypto, some safer assets, things right. like that. So um, across the board, you know, maybe even in some art and yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have about 1% of my net worth in the stock market. So I'm okay. 99% in alternative. So that tells you what I think about diversification. Got I don't, I, I, you know, uh, I, when I, when I watch the, you know, the 24 seven, you know, coverage of the stock market, it doesn't look that much different than a sports book in Vegas to me. It looks like a lot of gambling and prices being, you know, affected by things that may have nothing to do with the underlying business. So uh, that's kind of where I stand on that. Um, uh, and, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned crypto. I mean, uh, I, I'm, and this is, I gotta, I gotta do my disclaimer here. This is, this is Chris Odegaard's opinion. It's not financial advice, right? Yeah, not financial uh, advice here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge, I'm a very bullish on Bitcoin and I have a set buy every, every Monday I buy a certain amount of it and that amount kind of goes up or when we're in the price point where we are now. But, um, you know, I was recently at a meeting with the syndicator that, does the apartment deals that I do, I only use one or two. And I had a question for the the co-founder and I said, so, you know, we're in a different market. You know, everybody's worried about what's going on with, with the stock market, with real estate. <clears throat> I said, you know, they have a very specific criteria and if they analyze a property and it matches their, you know, their criteria, it's, it's either up or down. There's nothing in between. It's a buy or a no buy. Yeah. And I asked them, and they're still, they're still getting properties, you know, in this environment. I said, have you had to change your buying criteria at all to get properties in this market? And they said, no. So all the formula they've been using that's been working for the last seven years. Now they're not finding as many properties, but they are finding them. So I guess the, that's kind of the, my long way of saying to you, you know, there, there's real estate's very local and there's money to be made in every market in real estate, 
but not in all markets, right? Yeah. So definitely. if you if, if you get a, uh, I mean, I have I have heard some people that are way more successful than me say, you know, if I had known about syndications way back then, I would have just skipped all those baby steps and time consuming things and went right toward there. I mean, um, you know, you, uh, for e let's just say you, you start doing this and you, you know, you get, you start at $25,000 a pop. Well, with, with one $25,000 investment, you're into a hundred unit apartment building as opposed to a single family rental where if, if you lose one tenant, you now have a hundred percent vacancy, right? Yeah. And so, and then the, and your next 25,000 could be in a completely different part of the country. So not only you're getting, you're getting the, the economies of scale really quickly, but you're diversifying and how hard would that be if you were trying to do that one single family rental at a time? Oh, very hard, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't be shy about, uh, uh, getting started. Well, that's also, I sorry, I want to just say this one uh -huh. point. Um, and we had somebody else on a few episodes back and they're also, they went the real estate route. Most of their net worth is in real estate. And what they said was, I don't think, I mean, maybe it's considered a syndication, but he has a group like of four or five other investors and then they go and collect capital. So I guess it is something along those lines. Yep. And he said the same thing that, if it, it took him 12 years to amass maybe like 10 million in real estate, but then yeah. in the past four years after that, he was able to do like 220 million in real estate just because right. yeah. he worked with a group. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, it was, uh, and do, do these properties while you own them in the syndication, are they giving you passive income as well? Or is it just when they sell it, you get the <clears throat> It, it depends on the business model of the particular syndicator. So there are cash okay. flow models and there are appreciation models and then there's hybrid models. So it, <clears throat> it just depends. You can, you can find somebody that's doing, you know, you know what you're looking for. Because I've also been thinking as I've kind of been uh, <clears throat> refining my plan, I want to focus on trying to get the passive income as much as possible first. And then once I have the available money, you know, while focusing on other endeavors, then I'll have the money to invest into other things that I want. I, it's more just kind of trying to relieve myself of the act of nine to five. Yep. Cause it takes up so much time. I don't know how you feel about that. I, uh, anything that smells like trading time for money. I just, you know, <laughs> it's like I, yeah. I did that for way too many years and I just don't do it anymore. So, uh, okay. Yep. So I guess my, my, I have, uh, my question is twofold. Um, why is it that you think more people aren't involved with with this syndication and um, this entire like new way of investing? Well, it's the uh, think of. Uh, I'll just use myself as an example. So I grew up in a family of ease, and and what you did was you got a job with benefits, and you worked there, and you put your money into a four hundred one k, and maybe you had some benefits, and Everybody in my family, everybody that I, you know, all my friends, that's, you know, that's what everybody did. That was, that's what everybody knew. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. So then what happens when a guy like me comes around? And I'm looking at my article here that I wrote a, a month or two ago. It's, it says, why your 401k sucks. That's like the first guy that came and said that the world was round. Everybody went, what? Yeah. Well, we all know that it's flat. Everybody said, you're the only person that ever told me that the world is round. So it's you're you're just swimming even even in today it's it's starting to change but 
uh, and and most people, it you know, it's it's just like uh, well, why do some people just kind of languish here, and why do other people get smarter and get richer? Uh, you know, I can tell you from personal experience for about it. For every ten people I tell about this, it will just go in and out of, of eight of ten. Only yep. one or two will actually take this information and go. You know what? I should check this out. There might everybody will go. Oh. Really? You paid no taxes in 2019? You're getting 30% average annual returns on your money? That sounds too good to be true. It's got to be illegal, immoral, or unethical. And that's 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 the only ex- – it's what, it's what Jim Rohn calls mysteries of the mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay. I guess, I guess that does make sense. Um, and well, you're, the, you're uh, questioning everything that they yeah. kind of previously believed. So – I mean, as much as it's on the front of, I've never heard this before, I don't want to believe you, it's also like a personal thing. Like, I believed in this way for so long, why am I just going to change my thought process right away? Because one person said it. Yeah, and it it all depends on how resistant you are to change. And, uh, you know, I think uh, one key to success is having a childlike curiosity. You know, when you read Robert Kiyosaki's book and he talks about, you know, real estate investors paying no taxes, and I go, okay, well, that sounds interesting. I want to learn more about that instead of just immediately backing off and going. Sounds weird. Yeah. Yeah. I've made so much money on things that people said were too good to be true. And I got another one right around the corner. <laughs> You're just proving people wrong. Yep. Sorry, man. All right. So I guess um, the next the next point I want I wanted to touch on was um, you said that you look at alternate investments as um as a whole, right? So besides these real estate investments, what other types of investments are you making or are you considering um, for yeah. in the past nine years and moving forward? Yeah, so I've done, uh, I've invested in ATM machines. I've invested in uh, coal processing units that get very good energy treatment and um, self-storage in the apartment buildings, uh, cryptocurrency. I've, I've, I own... Uh, private shares of small businesses. You know, I've, I've done private lending and, and you know, I've bought pr- performing and non-performing notes and, and kind of rehab those. And, uh, and, and, and believe it or not, uh, ca- overfunded cash value life insurance is a great alternative investment. And in my mind, it should be like the base, the base layer of everybody's, of every serious investor's uh, investment. And then you just kind of build on top of that. Unfortunately, I didn't learn it in that order, so I kind of came back in later. But there's there's a whole list of uh, I mean I've, I've just about every type of alternative investment I've I've touched on a little bit and had, and you know dipped my toe in the water. And when you mention uh, the life insurance policy, you mean you know like a like a term life or something that you can just continuously borrow against <laughs> tax free or. Uh, well, that wouldn't be a, a term policy. Wouldn't no. do this. This would be either a whole, a whole life, life. Yeah, that's or, what I meant. Whole or life, like sorry. yeah, or like an index universal life. And my policies are structured on the whole life policy. But there's some, uh, and it just mostly has to do with my age because some of the stuff that, that uses index universal life policy, it kind of, you've got to have 15 years, and I'll be 60 okay. next month. So I'd rather I need something that gives yeah. me benefits now, right now and not yeah. not 15 years from now. So so I guess. Um, for me and for maybe some of the listeners who don't know as much about life insurance, I actually looked into life insurance for the first time ever today, um, just because I, I st- recently started a new job and I was enrolling in benefits, right? Currently in the E stage of my life. Yes. Um, 
but can you can you go into detail a little bit about those uh, life insurance yeah. policies? Yeah, I can. I'm, I've got a little graphic here that I got to get out so that I can do Perfect. this topic justice. So, so these are uh, and and I got to be clear for your for your listeners. So if you if so, what I'm going to describe is kind of complicated. And let's just say I did it perfectly, and, and your listeners understand it perfectly, and they go, "Well, I'm going to go down to my Allstate agent who's got my car insurance." They would not they would not do this properly. Um, so it takes a, it takes a very specialized agent that knows how to put these policies together so that they're, so that they benefit you and not the commission of the agent. Right. Yeah. So that's key. But, um, so this is like a, a, an overfunded whole life insurance policy. You, so you have a funding range. And so let's say you're, and these are going to be some big numbers and these, and for the sake of this example, you know, you, you've got a funding range of, um, up to $100,000. So you can put up to $100,000 in this policy every year. The first 15 is required because that's the premium piece that goes to pay for the death benefit. And this would be a million or a multi-million dollar death benefit you, that you would have. And then you've got the other 85 that's in this cash value bucket, and it is sitting there earning 5% tax-free interest Creditor protected. This is a private contract with you and insurance policy. It doesn't show up on any credit report. Anybody sues you, they're not even going to know this exists. So now, the, as soon as I, a week later, uh, I can go to the insurance company and say, hey, I would like to borrow of that 85 that's sitting in that cash value, I would like a loan for $70,000. And they're going to loan me $70,000 at 5% simple interest. We're earning compounded interest and we're getting paying simple interest and it's but we're our money is still there they're using the cash value as the collateral to give us the loan so they give me a, a loan out of their account of 70,000 so i've got my 85 making 5% over here and they given they've given me a loan for for 75 or excuse me 70 and i'm going to take that and put that into one of my deals that has an average annual return of 30 and and all i have to do with the insurance company and i don't need, the smart thing to do is I'll get an invoice every year that says, here's the 15 for your policy and here's the interest due on your outstanding loan and I'll pay off that interest. And then, and then when this apartment, my apartment buildings tell, tend to sell in three to four years and then all that capital comes back in, I pay off the, the, the loan and, uh, and just keep repeating the process. It's like a line of credit and it, we, the, the money just circulates in and out of this, uh, life insurance policy, it's, it's kind of like a supercharged savings account. It's where the money sits in between deals. And so, you, and, and, and it's just a, it's just a supercharger on your investment. And, and if you, and if you fully fund, and the idea is if you fully fund that policy for five years, um, you would never have to put any money into it again, because uh, the difference, because the policy the the cash value of the policy will will actually carry the policy for the for the premiums for the rest of your life. Now I keep using it over and over and over. So, uh, but yeah, does that does that give you a picture of how that works? And I just wanted to reiterate one more time that this episode was made with ZenCaster and check out our coupon code below if you're interested to utilize their tools. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, so you know, a little bit. Of separate from the life insurance, but when you get a deal sold, you know, 
it's a large deal and you get a big lump sum of money back. Is there like a sort of, because I know people try to separate their emotions from their finances just so they can make sound decisions, but is there some type of excitement that, you know, comes when you get that money and then you could turn it into the next deal? Like, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, of course, but what's the way that you, you know, you get that money in your account, you get the wire, what, what are you thinking? Like, are you already have the next deal planned? Uh, yeah, are you well, taking I'm, some time to sit on things or? Yeah, no, I, uh, you know, I'm always, uh, I've, there's, there's, uh, if, if you're in the, call the deal flow, if you're in the right deal flow, there's deals coming across your desk every day all and you time, don't have yeah. enough money to fund all those deals. So when, you know, I've, I've always, you know, when the, when the money hits my bank account, I already know where it's going because there's something pending coming down the pipeline. Gotcha. So I, I just I just had one. It was it was an, an Atlanta apartment syndication that I did in two thousand, late in two thousand eighteen, and it was forty thousand dollars, and I think I got one check the whole time. And so between eighteen and, and earlier this year, so forty thousand dollars came back at seventy three thousand dollars, and uh, you know right back into the insurance policy, and then right back out you know, to another apartment deal. And then by you putting it directly back into the life insurance policy, I mean, that that's to kind of pay off the line of credit that you had against it. But yeah, so yeah, what you're yeah, what you're doing is, you know, so, it, you know, if you had, so two things could be going on, maybe you fully funded the policy for the year, but you have outstanding loans. So that that 73,000 just comes in and brings those loans down. And, and may, maybe the next deal is still 30 days away. So anyway, I brought that down. I brought my interest down for that period. Or, or maybe you don't have any loans, and um, but you still haven't topped up your policy for that year. So that goes in and then gets okay. your uh, cash value built up. Yeah. Um, so I just want to hear a little bit about your day-to-day life. Because I know you said you don't want to sacrifice time for money. So... Mm-hmm. What what is it that you do from like when you wake up to like when you call like when you call it a day and now it's time for you to relax and do whatever it is that you want to do for the rest of the day? <laughs> okay, yeah. So my my days are, are you know usually pretty leisurely. I get up and uh, uh, my girlfriend lives here with me in South Carolina, and we'll have a we'll either have a cup of coffee here at the house or we'll drive to a local coffee shop and take our iPad or our laptops and kind of get the list squared away for the day, what we're going to do. And we'll, we'll come back, get started. She's got an office on the first floor and I have an office on the second floor. So I'm, most of what I'm doing is looking at, you know, I'm reading and looking, looking at different investments and I write articles for my blog and, you know, I have free virtual coffees on Thursday. So if somebody wants to, you know, have a 30 minute conversation with me, they can schedule that. And, um, but uh, then mid- midday, we'll have our first workout of the day. That'll usually be a walk around the neighborhood. And then in the afternoon, we'll have a, or early evening, we'll have a second one at the gym. And uh, we like to take advantage of all the nice food here. I like things with motors. So I've got a few motorcycles and a Z06 Corvette. So we like driving Ooh, those around the country. Nice. My and, dad's got a Camaro uh, SS. <laughs> I love driving that. <laughs> so that's kind of, uh, and, I, and I do, uh, I, I like to do the domestic travel to, uh, you know, like left field investors and, and other groups have conferences around. So you, I have to stay around people that are doing this stuff because they're, 
you know, you can't have these conversations with everybody. So uh, that's why you got to listen to the podcast. But yeah, to get out and uh, go to conferences where they're talking about this stuff. And it's just a it's a continual learning process. And the nice thing about this, I guess, this hobby that I do now is it makes money. So, you know, so anyway, it's just it's just it's just a lot of fun. Uh, beyond that, I play the piano. So I practice that. I try to do that in the morning, in the evening. And then I got to cut out at least a 30 minute piece of the day to do some reading. You know, I've got a stack of books that, you know, it kind of keep me going. So that's my, well, you know, that's my day. Not too terribly taxing. Awesome. I mean, I guess just for the people on our podcast that are listening who are younger and maybe all of this entire conversation confused them to some extent. As a summary, could you give us obviously no number value, just a rough estimate compared to when you were working a nine to five or W2, uh, your income per year like a multiple of that could you give us an estimate like is it 10 times 20 times oh no and i'm still um i'm still uh, i'm probably i'm probably at uh you know a multiple of two so but uh so here's the here's the the issue so uh you know my net my net worth from when i got divorced uh, over that 9 year period increased by 5.6 times Okay. And, um, so, so I'm still kind of, uh, building up. It's, it's really but that's easy. That's in nine years. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's really easy to, it's, it's easier to accumulate a high net worth than it is to, you know, add tens of thousands of dollars a month to your cash flow. So, you know, these 30% uh, annual returns on these apartment buildings are good, but they take three or four years and you're getting them in, you know, one or two big chunks. And it's really, you know, within in the apartment space, you know, if you go out and you find a good cash flowing deal, you know, $100,000, you know, in, in a good scenario could get you $1,000 a month. Well, $1,000 a month doesn't really swing the needle. $10,000 a month would swing the needle, but that would have made a million dollars. So, uh, so anyway, it takes, uh, you know, it takes time and uh, to get that, that those cash flow uh, numbers going. So, and, and I'm still, you know, still working on them, still pushing them upwards. No, and you're, you're doing really good from what you're telling us. Uh, the only reason I said that was because I kind of wanted to make the point that, you know, you're able to live the life that you want. You're able to have this time freedom, location, freedom, travel, freedom, while still being in the process of building everything up. Like, like you said, you're not necessarily where you want to be, but that that's really the main point I wanted to make was that it it you don't have to be at the point where you're ma- where you're you know cash flowing a hundred thousand dollars a month eighty thousand right. dollars a month to feel like you're there. Yeah. Well, there you know there are you know I mean I had a you know I had a really good corporate job and and I made a lot of money and could have continued to make a lot of money there, but I was tired of of doing that. And there and yeah. uh, you know the, I I know that there are people that. Uh, uh, had way more net worth than I did when I retired, but it wasn't enough. You know, they had to keep on working. I thought, you know what? I yeah. would rather, uh, I mean, <clears throat> I would rather uh, leave the workplace and continue to build my worth, my net worth and cash flow on my own time, you know, and, and just have, you know, kind of a pretty leisurely life if I want to. And I like to say, you know, you want to get to a point where you can make work a choice instead of a necessity. There's nothing wrong with working. Yes. Most people are working because they have to and not necessarily in jobs that they like. And, and hey, we've all done it and most of us are going to have to do it. Uh, but you want to get to a point where you go, you know what? I just want to be a full-time blogger 
and write about this and talk to other people. Or, you know, maybe I want to, you know, spend 20 hours a week volunteering. Or I really like helping people at the hardware store. So I want to go work at Home Depot for 10 hours a week because I enjoy it. It doesn't matter. You just want to have that 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 yes. flexibility. And there are plenty of people, and I know them, who are still working and wouldn't be happy you know, with my cash flow, they say, "Oh, that's not good enough for me." I, you know, I need to have the boat on the boat and the three houses and you know, four international vacations every year. And and uh, <clears throat> you know, I'll get to all those places that I want to get to uh, in terms of the other things that that I want to do that that the cash flow doesn't support. So, uh, but in the meantime, I'm having a heck of a good time. That's great. Um, I guess. One final thing um, I just wanted to ask. Uh, I usually ask a lot of our listeners, um, what uh, did you go to college? And if you did, what did you study in college? Has it helped you in any way with what you're doing now? <laughs> uh, I did. I did. Uh, bar- barely. I, my, if, if my dad were here, he would remember clearly in the summer after my sophomore year of high school, where I told him uh, I was working on my motorcycle. And I said, I'm not going back to high school next year. And he was like, <laughs> the hell you're not. Right. So, I mean, yeah. I, I did make it through high school. I was not a very, even though I had a 3.2 GPA, I was not a, my SAT scores were awful. Uh, but I liked working with my hands, cars, motorcycles, and airplanes. And so uh, I went to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University down in Daytona Beach, Florida, to become an, become an airframe and power plant mechanic. And that is the, it is a university, but that's like the technical part of the, the school. And what I realized later uh, is that after I was down there, I had to take, I had to take a remedial math and English class. In other words, I would have never gotten into Ohio state. If I'd have wanted to go to a four-year university, a regular one, I wouldn't have gotten in because my SAT scores weren't good enough and I was lacking. Uh, but uh, so I did the first two years down there uh, to get my mechanics license to work on airplanes. I had a 4.0 for two years and I managed to, you know, take two more years and add some other stuff on it and come out with a bachelor's degree. And, and then I, I worked at, um, at the, with, for McDonnell Douglas at the Kennedy Space Center for a while when the first shuttle launches were going. I graduated from college in 84 and then I moved out That's to awesome. Seattle and, uh, I had different jobs out there. I've traveled all over the world, uh, I was part of the selling team and sold airplanes to airline customers all over the world in one in one royal family. Uh, I've been to thirty something countries. So the the uh, uh, the the college education uh, didn't help me in what I'm doing with this investing. It was the classes and seminars and the networking and all that kind of stuff. I will say that my uh, my uh, the last part of my career, I was a director of contracts at Boeing, and so I was the guy who wrote and negotiated the contracts for the sale of airplanes. And that was uh, I call that an MBA on steroids, uh, and that's where I really kind of learned about big business. And some of that has translated into what I do today because Chris Odegaard doesn't invest in anything. So one of my companies is the is the entity that does all the investing, and that gives you asset protection and a lot of tax benefits. But anyway, that that little bit of my Boeing career helped me, but nothing I learned in college. <laughs> you know, I didn't learn anything about money. <laughs> but you know, I feel that that's kind of a recurring theme whenever that question is asked because I know like economically I like I listened to um a really good economic podcast uh called Freakonomics 
And they had like a series about college and college acceptances and how fewer fewer people are going to college every right. year, which is like this is like the first time in the past couple of decades that this has right. happened. And uh, economists and like presidents of universities are talking about how college is mathematically like the best investment that you can make in yourself. <laughs> and even though I I, I kind of understand the sentiment of like how financially going to college opens up these opportunities for you in like your earlier, like younger life and even down the road. But just more and more you hear about how like even me, I'm two years out of my uh, bachelor's degree and I haven't used anything that I learned right. in my coursework. Like right. I made great relationships and like that's where John and I met. But mm -hmm. and I feel like I did grow in college, but right. I don't know if the course material was really relevant to anything that I want, right. anything I do or want to do. I heard I was just listening to a podcast today and uh, and this is the first time I've ever I've ever heard this story told this way. So this guy was a he was a chemical engineer and he got a job and he was putting money in his 401k and he realized that it just wasn't it just wasn't getting him there very fast. So he said, so I did the traditional thing. If I want to make more money, I got to get more education. So he went back and he did whatever test or whatever you have to do to so you can go get your master's. And he was on that path. And he read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad's book. And he said, I guess I'm not going for my master's degree. <laughs> and I thought, that was, I thought that was awesome because, you know, the, the master's degree isn't going to help him learn how to, you know, how to get wealthy. I don't are you guys, have you guys ever heard or read any books by Jim Rohn? No, I haven't. Yeah, so Jim Rohn is dead now, but he was a, a very successful businessman and then became kind of a teacher and a speaker in his, his later life. And yeah, um, yeah, you should uh, check out some of his stuff. He just had the greatest sayings. And, and he said, you know, uh, if you want to be good at something, you got to study it. He said, what about wealth? You think if you wanted to be wealthy, you would you would study wealth and what you get there, and you would get there. So so that doesn't come with any college degree or with any master's degree. So if you want to be wealthy, you got to study wealth, and your time is way better spent, you know, doing it outside of a any kind of college or university because they don't teach that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, John and I have talked about this on the podcast and off the podcast about how college and the edu like the US education system maybe it's similar in other countries around the world too mm -hmm. um, it's kind of built to churn out employees and people that could support just generally support the the economy of whatever nation or state that you live in yes. um, rather than really giving you the the skills and everything you would need to live the life that you want to live yeah. Well, without without crossing over into conspiracy theories, there I have read some stuff. You know, the the modern well, the modern the U.S. educational system was designed a long time ago, and I have read some things that it was designed to produce tax paying employees. You know, and so uh, didn't anyway. a lot of the very large business owners back then also play a hand in defining the early education system. I, I believe so, yes. And there's 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 yeah, there's a name of a group that got together and maybe a study or something and and they designed you know, and it probably I mean, you know, prior to the industrial revolution and things like that. I mean, I think college 
uh, it certainly has a place. I mean, you can't be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, you know, or a certain kind of sci scientist. So I think yeah. it works. It certainly is needed in some fields, but the, you know, the, it, the feeling that everybody needs to get a college education, I just, that's just not true. Some people need it and some people don't. And some people's money is going to be way, but I mean, there's way too many people with college degrees, you know, working at, you know, barely over minimum wage jobs, you know, and uh, so anyway. With also a couple hundred thousand or more in loans, which is just very unfortunate because it's doesn't need to be that way. But well, and think, we, and we could do a whole it. episode on that. Yeah. So, so that this is this is one of these. This is the unintended consequence of government regulations, my opinion. So, if if the government wasn't backing student loans, if some eighteen-year-old showed up at the bank who just graduated from high school and said, "Hey, I I I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up, and I don't really have a plan, but I would like you to loan me a hundred thousand dollars to go They'd to college," no. and the, the banker would say no. But they but since they're just going to turn around and that mortgage is sold or it's backed by the government, so as long as there's this oversupply of money, the college prices keep going up. You know, it's a supply and demand thing that, in my opinion, is partially caused by the government regulation, let them get out of the, you know, backing every, every student loan, you know, <laughs> that's interesting. I never really thought about that. Yeah. You know, I get, then we'll wrap it up here. Chris, thank you so much. I feel like that was a value packed episode. Definitely a lot of stuff that even for me and Ahmed, I'm going to go look into this I'm, yeah, stuff gonna, right I'm, now too. We, I think the two of us will be the two out of 10 that you mentioned earlier. Good. That will actually Good. look into stuff. <laughs> I hope so. Um, but do you have, before we wrap up, do you have any uh, social media or any kind of um, anything you yeah. want to let our listeners know about? And we could also include it in the show notes. Yeah. Anybody who wants to get a hold of me, uh, the best way is just go to the one-stop shopping is the website, theprolificinvestor.net. All the social media channels there are there. And right on the home page, you'll see my book available through Amazon, Get Off Your Ass and Manage Your Money, Why You Need Alternative Investments. And I know it sounds self-serving, but I, I wrote the book because I thought, you know, now that I've gone down this path, I could draw a straighter line between here and there than the one that I took. So it's a, it's a, you know, 120 pages. You can read it in, you know, a couple hours and it's a, it's a real good, it'll, it'll uh, really get you thinking about alternatives. And, and if I did my if I did my job right, you go, wow, these, this is so superior to the stock market. Why would I ever do that again? Right. That that's the way people should walk away from the book, hopefully. All right. Thank you again, Chris, uh, for hopping on. Um, but to our listeners, uh, you know where to find us at black box podcast, no a in the black on Instagram and Twitter, black box podcast with an a in the black on TikTok. Uh, please feel free to leave us a review on the podcast streaming platform of your choice. It'll go a long way to help us out. Um, but I'll thanks, be right on uh, that. <laughs> thank you thank so you. much. Hey, thanks for having me uh, on, man. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Really appreciate it. Yeah, guys. No, thank this you. Was great. And um, to our listeners, we'll uh, see you guys next week.